it was about a month after the wedding. We were on a camping trip with a bunch of the people that I worked with, awesome friends. And Kev was zipping around the campground um, in the middle of the night. And I was fast asleep in our tent. And they said, Kevin, are you high? And he just said, yeah. He just owned up to it. And they didn't tell me that night. We went to work a couple days later. And they said, sweetheart, your husband has a drug problem. Like, your husband's an addict. And I was like, yeah, right. He's just a newlywed. And he's, what do you mean? You are loved by Well, welcome again to our SOS series, our Summer of Strength series. And this is a special one because this is our bonus. Or maybe some people want to say encore episode because we've heard all of your feedback and you're loving uh, the series. And so we said six, but now we're adding and last one, number seven. And I'm so glad we are because this show has all the makings of a Hollywood blockbuster movie. Crystal meth, addiction, infidelity, jail time, broken marriage, and so much more. This this episode is really a love story, a redemption story like no other. And so I'm so glad that I got to sit down with Kevin and Don Bralovich to talk about their incredible journey that no one expected, no one saw coming. And for me, it was a lot about learning about addiction and getting into the mind of somebody who uh, has uh, had uh, an addiction with crystal meth. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin and Don. Get your pens out uh, because you're going to learn a lot. And if you are addicted, are in recovery, or are supporting loving someone through addiction, this show is for you to strengthen you in that relationship. Here's my conversation with Kevin and Don. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with IJM Canada and David Ash, author of Simple Wealth. Now I'll be sharing more about these inspiring partners later on in the show, but if you wanna check out their life transforming work that they're doing, even while you're listening to this podcast, I won't be offended, I promise. Go to IJM.ca and simplewealthbooks.com slash seeherelove. All right, Kevin and Don, I am so glad that we are together to have this conversation. How are things down east today? Beautiful. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful, hot, sunny day. And uh, yeah. it's actually maybe even too hot, but we're loving it. We're working our way outside and getting our uh, getting the recovery center up and ready to start ASAP. So Amazing. Um, if you were going to tell somebody, I'll start with Dawn and then Kevin, yeah. why people need to go down east, oh. why people need to explore and connect with <laughs> the East Coast? What would you say? Because I'm a big fan, but a lot of people in Canada, I can't believe, have never been to the East Coast. Yeah. So why? Tell uh, me. It's, it's just stunning, first and foremost. It's I just adore the geography here. It's got so much to offer. People think very small, um, and it's really not. I mean, there's beaches absolutely mm. everywhere. Um I think there's more lakes in Nova Scotia than anywhere in Canada. Like it's a, a crazy amount of water wow. in this province, a lot of water here. Uh, and the people, they're just fantastic. They, it's, it's true what they say about maritime hospitality. They're just absolutely lovely here. So very neighborly. Um, you like seafood. That's a plus. <laughs> 
Yes, I do. Lobster rolls, Digby scallops. Yeah. I mean, I could go on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, what about all, you? East I'm, all about, I'm all about the ocean seaside. I, I take every waking moment to find different parts of the province to see the rugged, uh, beautiful coast here. And I just enjoy that. Any, any given weekend, we're usually taking a shot somewhere an hour away. That's the cool thing. It's small enough that an hour, hour and a half away, you can be in a totally different part of the province, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah I love that. And you know what I think? <clears throat> I've always thought this, like, you know, like loving and enjoying where you live. Mm -hmm. I think that's important, you know, the landscape, what it has to offer. And if I could, I, I honestly have thought, like, would I, would my family, would Chris and I ever live in the east coast i mean my parents had a cottage there for over 13 years so that was amazing every summer we'd be in nova scotia off the bay of fundy right. so anyway i'm a big supporter of your land province experiences 100 percent um so i'm really glad you're in this conversation as part of our sos series and it's a summer of strength series and as I was thinking through, like, who are the people and stories that need to be featured, you both came up pretty quickly in conversations around the table with our team. And I think you have so much to offer and to share in strengthening people and in, and in, in a few areas, in addiction, in recovery, in in the why and how. And, and then for Dawn, for you, in just, you know how to be and, and be in relationship and support and stick with and all that when somebody is going through, you know, addictions. Uh, so I think, and I know your story will really connect with people and will help people. Cause I had, I had a friend say, I, I need to hear this story because I'm actually currently in recovery right. and I just want to hear stories so that I don't feel so alone mm -hmm. and I feel connected. So let's start from the, and when I say beginning, Kevin and Dawn, and maybe you guys can go kind of back and forth, but uh, maybe a little bit about, you know, just sort of the love story and then how this, the addiction and what you're addicted to happened. So I don't know who wants to start. start. Dawn, Kevin. Okay. Dawn starts with the, the love story and then we'll go into I like that. To Kevin. Beautiful. Okay. Starts great. <laughs> <laughs> so we met extremely young. Kevin was 19 and I was 23. And I had just recently, um, within the last six months, they found Jesus. I grew up um, in the church, but didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. And so I was a new believer. And I had been praying into my future and into um, meeting the person that I would marry and, and build a family with, and that he would be a godly man because I had really gone off the rails. I, had, um, I was not living a, a healthy life at all when it came to relationships. And so... Um, we actually met in a food court, <laughs> very romantic setting. <laughs> he was nice. And, um, you got to give context there. You got to yeah. give context. <laughs> we read at a, at a, one of the places in the food court and people say love at first sight and, and, and others chuckle. And we know for us, that's exactly what it was. It was wow. this instantaneous I had stopped dating for a number of months and been praying for the one, not just anyone, but the one that God wanted me to be with. And there was just this, this magnetic firework moment. And, um, he went home 
and told um, his mom that he met the girl that he's going to marry or saw the girl. He hadn't even met me yet. And I um, went back to work to my girlfriends and said, you know, I'm not dating and I'm living life differently now. But if that boy asks me out, I'll go out with him. And we were engaged four weeks later. Um, so so yeah. picture, I'm shelving bread. My job is a bread man. I'm shelving bread in a food court at the mall. And I look over and I see a girl who I'd never met before. And I ended up getting her number from a lady who ran the sandwich shop. That is how it all began. <laughs> and yeah, engaged after four, wow. four weeks of dating. Uh, he put a ring on my finger and we were married five months after that. Now, what I didn't know um, at the time was he professed to be a believer and he very much looked like one. He knew how to, how to act the part. Uh, he came to Bible study with me. Everybody who met him fell in love with him and just thought, yes, like this makes total sense. You two are super young, but you're such a fantastic fit. This is a God thing. Um, maybe you pick up here with what happened a week before the wedding, Kev. Yeah, so... Uh, interesting thing, like I, I had grown up in the church and I, uh, when I met Don, I was just in, let me back up. I had fallen away from my upbringing at a young age, 16, 17. I walked away from God, church, all that stuff. And, but I knew I wasn't living the life that I had been raised to be. I knew I, I wanted to go back to my Christian ideals. Uh, so I was partying and trying different drugs and different things like that. And when I met Don, I was dabbling and selling a little bit of drugs and just different stuff. Not a horrible thing. I wasn't a drug addict, but, you know, certainly a, just a stupid party life. And I met Don, and uh, I said, this is the girl I've been waiting for. I want to drop all that stuff and go back to my roots. And um, so when I met Don, she's going to church and Bible studies, and I put on my, I call it, I, I joke, I call it my God facade. Because I'd grown up in church, I knew exactly how to act and, and what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say I didn't have, uh, I can't say I had a heart connection with, with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I was, you know, walking it out with the Lord, but certainly uh, knew what to say and how to act and all that stuff. Um, anyway, uh, a week before we got married, um, I, so I'm, I'm getting up at two in the morning. We have family in town because I, I worked in the middle of the night and, um, I ended up trying crystal meth for the first time. Uh, my, my brother actually offered it to me, and it seemed, he hit that line, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And uh, what happened was it, it made me feel amazing, invincible. I can stay up all hours of the night and the day, really you never sleep, and get a lot done. And at first it seemed like an incredible thing, just a typical, uh, as you, you may have heard drug drug stories before, it, it it promises, you know, fun and all the things, and then it just steals everything from you. So, um, so a week before the wedding, I get hooked on crystal meth. I was I was hooked pretty much right away, and uh, I walked down the aisle, sweating my face off as high as a kite, and uh, that was the beginning of a four-year-long journey through drug addiction in our marriage. Do you ever think, Kevin, I mean, do when people start drugs, do they ever think that they'll get so addicted? I mean, I don't I don't know, but is it, you know, you try it once, it makes you feel good, and that's what happens? I mean, most people must not think, oh, I'm going to become a hard addict if I just do this once. Because if they did, would they do it? I know that sounds sort of simple, but. No, nobody no, picks I, up a, an opiate or a 
nobody picks up heroin for the first time and thinks, yeah, yeah I want to be a hardcore drug user. No, it makes sense. I, I get the question. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was actually talking to a colleague of mine the other day, and he was he was uh, he was listing off some statistics about meth. Uh, he's a he's a realtor uh, locally in the area here, and he, he was just chatting to me about you know uh, the success rate or the death rate of people that get hooked on the stuff. And he's like, man, if people only knew, they would never try the stuff. And I said, people know all the stuff, but nobody assumes they're going to get hooked on it. They just assume they can just try it do it once, do it twice, do it on the weekend, whatever. Uh, it's, but it, that's, that's where the lie of drugs comes in is it's so heavily addictive. And then, and then you add that to feeding some of the brokenness in your life. And, uh, it, it's a perfect storm for addiction. Yeah. So talk to me, you get married and Don, you don't know, or when do you start realizing that he's addicted yeah. to crystal he was meth. off for sure on the day of the wedding um but you have to remember okay. he's 20 and it was a pretty rushed right this is six months after we've met and people have flown in from other provinces for our wedding and it was you know an anxious time for sure happy anxiety but also everybody was just like oh it's cold feet sweetheart he'll be fine and mm -hmm. it was about a month after the wedding. We were on a camping trip with a bunch of the people that I worked with, awesome friends. And Kev was zipping around the campground um, in the middle of the night. And I was fast asleep in our tent. And they said, Kevin, are you high? And he just said, yeah. He just owned up to it. And they didn't tell me that night. We went to work a couple days later. And they said, sweetheart, your husband has a drug problem. Like your husband's an addict. And I was like, yeah, right. He's just a newlywed and he's, what do you mean? And I, and I went home and kind of thought about it, prayed about it and asked him, I said, do you have a problem? Do you have a drug problem? And he, he owned up to it and said, yeah. And he, he told me what was what. And I mean, he started the week of the wedding, like he said, and he was instantly hooked. And so, wow. yeah, it was, it was a bitter pill to swallow. This is the guy that I've prayed for and he's answered prayer. And I knew it in my heart and my spirit. I knew, I knew he was the man that, that I was supposed to be with. I knew that my vows, um, that I, I meant them. And even though I knew he was kind of at the beginning of the very messy stages of, of addiction, I knew he meant it when he married me too. And I thought, what the heck, <laughs> what do I do with this? How do I be 23? And you know, you know, Yeah. And that was the beginning of kind of what it looked like to investigate, which I'm sure a lot of people want. Like, what do you do when you hear a loved one is is struggling mm -hmm. and at the beginning stages of addiction? And what does that look like? And who do you tell? And, you know, what's the best resource? And do you go to a counselor? Or do you go to do you go to rehab right away? He's only been using for a little while. It was it was um, a journey. Let me tell you. Yeah. Did you feel, Don, you could tell anybody or were you like ashamed or did you want to keep this a secret? I like, was not. like, how do you tell after you just get married? Yeah. Yeah. I'm now my husband's addicted to crystal meth. Yeah. And I, I wasn't then at that point, I'm just, I'm not that type of person. I, I don't care a ton what other people think. Like, I know that's mm -hmm. <laughs> good for you. But I, I <laughs> good for you. I cared about yeah. my marriage and I cared about Kevin and I cared about our future. Um, but you have to remember, you're not alone in this. Like for every addict, there's a mom and a dad and there are siblings and there are coworkers and there are employers and there are pastors and that, right? Like it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just my story. So it's a really good question because everybody kind of navigates it differently. And some people hold it all in because of, um, 
career or children or right um, pride. There's all kinds of things that factor into it. And so um, I was pretty honest with the people in my circle. Um, Kevin's family uh, now looking at it 22 years later, I can a thousand percent see why you would not want to tell people because um, I think you can't help but feel like you're you you're somewhat responsible when your loved one starts you and you're not let me say you are not it's an individual choice um but as a mom now of a 20 year old if she told me she had a drug problem i would i would look i would self-reflect i just i just would and so i think that all factors into it i mean Mm. it's it's a mess it's a mess it's something that no one ever thinks they're gonna have to deal with you know good christian boy brought up in christian schools and you know, they did all the right things in so many ways. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a really tough thing to walk out. There's no doubt about it. It's go through it all. So Kevin, you tell Dawn, yeah, I'm addicted. So let, let's want to hear a bit of that, the story. I mean, so you say it to her, but, but clearly that didn't change anything. It wasn't like you came out and then you're like, yep. And now I'm completely going to stop cold Turkey today. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen. So, well, so what happened in I, after you talked to her? And then what, what was the story? Probably a little foggy, exactly verbatim. But I, I remember yeah. pretty clearly saying, you know, something to the effect of, oh, I got this. I can fix this. I can fix myself. And, uh, you know, I can quit. No problem. It's very, very typical. You know, we always think we have control over our lives. And, you know, with a, with a drug like crystal meth, like many drugs, you really don't have any control anymore. You've actually given up that control. That was, uh, you know, once you put that into your body and, and it, it just, it actually just changes you. It changes you and you're willing, your, your ability to actually make sound decisions anymore. It's, it's, it's overtaken by the addiction. The same people, most people get up and have a cup of coffee every morning because if not, they feel horrible by 10 a.m. Um, I'm not saying coffee's bad. I love this stuff. Um, but, uh, <laughs> That's just kind of the, that's just kind of the way it is. And anyway, long and short of it, tried to tried to get off of it, and there was no possible way. Ended up going to my first um, bit of rehab. I went to a thirty day program. Um, it, in a, in, a, in the first few months of our marriage, and that was really tough. Young guy, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in rehab. What a what a this is lame. I've, I've really failed in my life. And so a thirty day re- rehab program, a recovery thing, and. Uh, I remember after a week of that, I knew everything. I was such a smart aleck. Uh, and I remember telling him, oh, Don, I'm good. I've learned so much. I remember telling all the guys in my groups, I said, guys, I've, I've learned a lot here in this week, but I've got to go back to work and go back to my life. You know, I'm good. And uh, and that's what you do when you're, when you're 20, 21 years old and you, you think you know everything. And sure enough, that, that was an epic fail. And thus the journey, the cycle of the broken uh, in and out of rehab, um, it would start to steal my life in increment after increment. Um, uh, and I say that it, what happens is you, you start you start doing pretty well because I, I was raised well. I was a good I was a good guy. I, I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman. I had great values and goals. And then what happens is the addiction gets worse, and your morals and your ethics just, they keep dropping off. And what you considered okay to or wrong to do, that could be the next day seems like it's okay to do. And then that goes for many areas. 
whether it's being faithful, whether it's stealing, whether it's, you know, what you would break into, maybe it's how much you, how much substance you put in your body, um, what you would say to a person, you know, you, vile things would come out of my mouth um, as the addiction got worse. And of course, you know, I turned to a life of, really a life of crime. I lost, we lost everything. It stole everything. It stole all our money. It stole complexion. It stole self respect. Stole relationship with my wife and my daughter and my my family. And uh, and that's what it does. And and Kevin, it, it, for someone who you know doesn't have and understand you know, the addiction, you know, I sit here and go, how can you let that take your life? And I know it sounds again so simple because somebody from the outside, you always point fingers and we're like, why and how? But it, I guess it, that's why it's an addiction. It's so strong yeah. that you will give up everything for that high or for that feeling. Is that right? Because to me, I'm just like, you've got a family. You've got, you just said crime and faithfulness, like all these things that really are bad things. Sure. And if you step back and you were like, why am I doing this? I'm ruining stuff because I need to get this Hi. I mean, maybe just take me into that understanding for people who kind of don't really know. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we were just talking to a, a young guy the other day, actually. He came to our center. He was talking about coming into the helm. And, and he said, yeah, my girlfriend doesn't understand it. She just thinks it's a choice, you know. And, and yes, it is a choice that you'd make every day or multiple times a day. However, it 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 literally takes control of here and takes control of here. It, 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 so your it, mind it, and it your... Proceeds you know, you're the practical, if that makes sense. Um, I, I often say this, but my, my, I fell in love with Don. There's no question. And I, and, and I love her to this day. Thank only by God's grace. We're even together. However, my, she was my first love and it transitioned. My first and only goal every day. Once I was hooked on crystal meth was to get that in my body. So I could feel that way. I could get that high. It, it, it just, does something to you it steals it, you know and there's a there's the there's like the actual physical element you know there's the addictive element i also believe uh absolutely that there's actually a spiritual element too i believe that there's there's like an oppression over your life that happens when you're in drug addiction it just takes control it uh and you know but that's the idea there's a bible verse about the the, the enemy is there to steal kill and destroy and that's exactly what it does drugs fueled all those things so wow there's also something so, to be said i i just want to add this is that mm -hmm. once you're in it then the shame comes in and it's like hmm. well i've already done it yeah right yeah. like you know when you you you've started doing something <laughs> it's like it's a, it was a weird one to watch because it was shame does things it just does it just gets in there and and you you the enemy does a really good job of telling you that, well, now, now you've done it now. Right. Hmm. Hey, Ken? Like yeah. it just. Oh, for sure. No turning back. I, I remember I was in such a, a pitiful state. And, and at this point, and so somewhere in our relationship, I, I Don went to the East coast. I was back uh, in, in BC and living my life. And I remember she came back for Christmas to see me. And, and I was in the middle of my mess. And I remember seeing my wife and daughter after I hadn't seen them for months. And the shame that came over me, I was so tangled up in all the stuff. And, you know, I was, I was way worse off than I'd ever been. 
and uh, and that just drove me drove me back further. You know, it's what you you go. Oh my gosh, that's what I could have had. It's like the cycle. Here's the picture of what I could be like this perfect little family situation, and here my pitiful. Um, you know, I'm sick. I'm absolutely sick, and I and I'd rather just stay sick than try and face the music. So. Wow. I'd rather stay sick than face the music and work well, hard. I, I want to go back to that, but Don. He, you know, Kevin just said, you know, he's out west, you're out east. What's going on? Like, I mean, for some people, they'd be like, I don't want anything to do with him. Like, yeah. we're, we're out. Like, what, what, in, in the support person in seeing this, what, what's going on with you and, and, you know, trying to keep this marriage together? But, yeah. yeah and so we, what was happening? I knew that I wasn't going to divorce him, but I couldn't stay. Like that's kind of mentally what yeah. I would come yeah. to it. I, we had our daughter at this point. She was, um, one year old, one, one and a half. Um, and I just, in, in working with people in addictions and, and the loved ones of addicts for about a, a decade now, I guess it is. Um, everyone has a line. Like we all just have a line mm-hmm. that you just, once that's crossed, we're done. And for some people there it's, you know, 15 years for some people I've, I've walked it out with people where it was literally, you know, over a decade that they, they stayed in the situation. And for me, it wasn't so much about the years. It was about the safety of our daughter. Um, and there was a day where something in me broke. Um, he actually took her out for a walk in her stroller. Um, and he smoked a meth pipe right in front of her. And this is a one and a half year old who doesn't remember it, obviously, but very, very smart little girl and, and was taking everything in this little human sponge. And just, that just did something to me. It, it, I just went, no, this is where as a parent, um, I'm not going to divorce you, Kevin, but now I'm done. Like now I'm going to actually spiritually, physically, um, financially, I am taking the reins. You had your chance. You said you'd get help. We're, we're at like two and a half years, three years at this point in this, you've tried a bunch of different rehabs. Now we're going to try geography and I'm taking Taya and I'm out of here and you can come Mm. and follow and try and get a whole new life and a clean slate. Um, or, or, you know, you know, the the choice is yours, but I'm going to do what I have to do to keep her safe because it just, it wasn't safe. His thievery was, you know, had escalated to crazy heights and just his morals that he said were out the window and he was never home. And when he was, he was high and he just wasn't even safe to be around. Um, and so, yeah, we came back here to Nova Scotia and um, he did follow and he lasted a couple of weeks, um, ended up picking up Ridlin in one of the playgrounds from a kid who was skateboarding or something to try and get high because he couldn't find meth in this sweet little Nova Scotia town in the middle of nowhere. And, hmm. um, and that's when he went back to BC and it was the six months later that I came to visit him. And my goodness, the, the difference from when he left us here in Nova Scotia in six months. I mean, he was emaciated and... Here I was hoping, you know, I'm bringing our daughter out to see him. She's two. It's her second birthday. Maybe, maybe we can salvage our marriage. And he was worse than ever. It was, it was awful. That was for sure the worst Christmas of my life. It was awful. I wish I hadn't come actually. I'm I'm sad that I ever saw him in that state. Um, Kevin, what are you thinking then? Like hearing, I mean, I know you've heard this before from Dawn, but when she came to see you, 
And I guess because you just said that, you know, drugs, you know, impact your mind and your heart, soul. Is there, when you saw this, saw you, saw, you know, your, your child, was there any connection like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? Or was, you know, like you said. I mean, I was, I was still fully in love in, how do you word that? I guess I wanted to be in love with her because she was my beautiful wife, my beautiful child. There's just, I was just so helpless. I couldn't, I couldn't love them the way they deserve. And, uh, and when you feel so helpless, you just go right back to the poison that keeps you there. Um, I remember very clearly them at, at Christmas or the day after Christmas, they're at my mom's house and I was literally out stealing a car that night while they're in the home, you know, getting back at six in the morning and trying to sneak around. And it was like, it was, it was just like the, the epitome of like a, a bottom dweller. I, I, I reached new lows and, you know, so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, just the bottom of a pit and feeling like you're, yeah, very low. That's the best word I can feel. Yeah. So now I'm not. I was, lo- I was losing at life every, every chance I could get. So I'm married to someone I, I not only don't love, but I'm repulsed by, and I'm bordering on hate at this point. Because anyone that could, A, leave us here in Nova Scotia and go back to drugs, and then when we come to see you four, five, six months later, this is what we're met with. I just thought, man, like short of a miracle. like I, I, And even then, I, I, divorce wasn't in my vocabulary, but I had I had no... No interest in him. No, I loved him as a human being and kind of because he's God's kid, but not as my husband. That's for sure. It was, he had really severed it for sure. Yeah. So we're okay. So we're sitting here at a place and I get it. Like you are not having it done. You're looking at him. He's emaciated. He is at the lowest of low. So what happens? Like what, what then happens? Because something obviously for our listener it's like well it sounds like they're still together (laughs) which you are and 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 in the work of the helm i want to talk to you about a little later but what was the point where things started to to get better uh we're starting to get healed yeah um i came back to nova scotia and kevin ended up racking up somewhere around 40 criminal charges um is this like break and enter or like that kind of stuff anything, or stealing all, all, anything? All, all, okay. Theft and drug related. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. 40, four, 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 zero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First I thought you said 14. Yeah. I'm like, that's a lot, but then they were like four, four zero. Two or 43. It was up there a lot. Hi, this is Becca, the associate producer of See Here Love, interrupting this great conversation to let you know that there are more shows and great content and blogs at seeherelove.com and our YouTube channel. Content to help you and give you tools as you care for your mental health, relationships, being single, being married, family issues, your self-confidence. We're here for you to help you find joy and small wins in your everyday as we lean into relationship with Jesus and intentional community. So check us out at seeherelove.com. And if you want to help us keep making this kind of content, you can donate to us at seeherelove.com slash donate. And really, to keep Melinda and I working and with jobs, donate. 
And finally, if you found this episode inspiring, please take a moment to share it with someone who would enjoy it and to rate and review our podcast. It really helps. Now back to Melinda to tell you what our amazing partners are up to. I am so excited to announce our partnership with International Justice Mission Canada. And over the next 10 years, IJM Canada has a vision to rescue millions out of slavery, to protect half a billion from going into slavery, and to bring justice to all who are marginalized and oppressed. Wow. So stay tuned to hear more about our incredible partnership and go to IJM.ca so you can learn how to become a freedom partner today. His record was squeaky clean because, like you said, he grew up in a Christian home, good schools, did all the right things as a young boy. Um, and so he'd get picked up and then released again, right? They'd print him and then set him loose and and, mm. and give him a court date or, you know, one of these promised to appears. And so he just kept racking them up and racking them up. And then at, at some point he ended up, um, they ended up putting him in a cell for over a month. Kev, you pick up here. This is. Yeah, there was a morning. So they, wait, after 42, they finally bring you to jail? Yeah, so, is that what happened? So they didn't pick me up 42 times. They picked me up a handful of times, but every time they pick you up, like when I say pick you up, when the police would take me into the station, they'd okay. give you a handful of charges. So you can pick, get picked up six or seven times, and if they give you six or eight charges every time, you know, once you get once you get picked up by the police one time, they give you conditions. So if you then next time you get picked up, if you're breaking those conditions, whether it's curfew, whether it's having break and enter tools, having drug paraphernalia, all those things, you get it, all those charges doubled again. Like it, it just keeps this cycle going. Um, so anyways, not to make light, they were all charges, that, but it, there was a, there was a pile of them. And uh, finally there was one morning. I remember it as clear as a bell. I was pulling out of a condom condo, condo uh, parking lot on a main drag in Langley, BC, and I remember looking in my rearview mirror, and the second I hit that main road, the cop lights went on behind me, and my heart sunk. I I knew, and in no way, shape, or form was I getting out of this one. I was going to jail, and I was not coming back. I knew there was no way that they were going to mm-hmm. take. A, they were going to know. Like, so I got I got pulled over. The police officer recognized my vehicle because she pulled me over before, and she was wondering what I was doing driving around at six a.m pulling out of a parking lot, you know, a place where I'd been picked up before. Um, anyway, um, that was, that was the, that was the last day I was a free man, uh, for a while. They brought me into, uh, pretrial jail. So that's, they brought me to a, a, basically the jail before prison. And that's where you, you sit and you wait for your court date. And, uh, very humbling position when you actually get thrown in prison or in, in jail and they, you start to you know face the music as they say um, started to I got a lawyer started to hear the consequences for my um, charges for all the foolishness and all the, the addiction and when they started telling me hey man do you realize you have you have 42 43 charges the crown is going to be seeking after five to seven years in prison for you. And you go, oh, my goodness, what have I done to my life? Addiction is like talking about stealing. It stole everything. And then it was going to take a huge chunk of my life again. And uh, that was, you know, we talked about rock bottom before. New low for me. New low, young, 23-year-old, absolutely broken guy in jail. And I, I was broken. 
weeping consistently, sobbing on the phone with my wife constantly. Don't leave me, don't leave me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he called calling every day. No divorce, please. You promised no divorce. And and here he's my answer to prayer. And and somehow, God, you expect me to take my two year old and visit her father in prison for the next five to seven years. Are you kidding me? This was not what I signed up for. Yeah, I know. Like that isn't what exactly. we talked about. What is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, God, what what's happening here? And so Yeah. So we prayed behind the scenes and we did a lot of work with Kev's lawyer knowing full well that that his decisions were a byproduct of his addiction he's not a bad human being he's a drug addicted human being and knowing that incarceration was not the answer that he needed a a shift in his spirit and his morals and um so we prayed and worked with the lawyer and actually um found a place in nova scotia um here a one-year addictions recovery farm that would take him and um, they had things like carpentry and animal care and things for him, like new skills for him to learn. Um, and so we we basically pleaded with the judge, hey, would you consider in lieu of jail sending him to this place? So, and so that's, it's, that sounds okay. great, but crazy. That was the plan going into a courtroom. But the, the, the bigger, better part happens in a jail cell. And uh so here I am, absolutely broken, just feeling the weight of the world, the weight of the weight of my sin, essentially. Um, and uh, I went to, I ended up going to a church service in in jail that just one time. I went to a church service one day, talked to the priest, and uh, I picked up a little one of those little tiny Gideon's Bibles in this church service, and uh, hmm. I ended up taking that taking that Bible back to my cell and started to read that like my life depended on it. And, you know, I'd grown up in the church and, and even Christian school and the whole thing and ended up like, you go, man, I, I thought I knew the Bible, but truth is I, I never really heard God's voice until I was desperate. I started to read God's truth and I started to like literally hear God's voice speak into my life. And I knew I was ready for a change. And so there was one particular day, I uh, the guys all went outside to go to, they call it to go to yard, and I held back in my cell, and I got down on my knees beside, just a pretty typical, you know, you can picture this scene, on my knees, Bible in my hand, begging God for help. And I said these words, I said, God, I'm in a mess, I know this wasn't, this wasn't your attention for me. And I said, I said these words, if you get me out of this jam, I promise to serve you forever. That was, I remember it as clear as a bell. And um, it was in those moments that mm. something happened. Well, a miracle happened. I don't know how else to explain it. Some, a miracle happened. There was a talk about being saved or transformed or renewed. God did something in those moments in my heart and in my mind. It gave me clarity. I believe in those moments that he removed that mm. addiction that had me so tangled and so, so wrecked. I believe he removed that from me. And gave me a new heart and gave me a new hope in the future. And and I remember even getting up from that prayer and just feeling lighter, feeling better, feeling I'm in the jail cell and I'm like, I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling something new. Mm-hmm. And so much to the fact that I remember, and it's kind of a little side story. 
but there was another guy in the in the in my cell, and he got he got beat up for eating too much bread. This is a, this is the picture of like living in jail. He got beat up for eating a, an extra slice or two of bread, and he was whimpering. And I felt so bad for the guy above me. And I remember this was like the start of my journey of like witnessing and like you know kind of preaching. I remember he was up there, and I, he got beat up pretty bad. And I remember I remember I said to him, I said, "Hey man, he's up in my bunk above me." And I said, "Hey man, do you pray?" He goes, he goes, no. I said, well, you should. <laughs> like, after I prayed, you know, I'm like, something happened. And he needs to pray. <laughs> so anyway. I think so, it was the change in Kevin and hearing it. I couldn't see him, but I could hear it in his voice. Like, like you could hear that he was a wow. creation. It was it. And I think that was the catalyst for us actually working towards getting him recovered like that. It gave us the push that we needed. When he said there was a there was a defining moment, he called me and instead of whimpering and begging me to stay with him, let me talk to Taya, let me talk to Taya. And I, you know what, I always say, no, you gotta call her when you're when you're of sound mind, Kev. Like she she can't hear her dad like this. And and he called this one day and he his countenance was completely different. And I said, What is up? And he just said that he had been praying and he said, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know we're gonna be okay. And, and, and that was, he had had this encounter with Jesus and he didn't even go into specifics with me at that time, but I knew that this is a different human being I'm speaking to. He's a, he's a different guy. God's doing something here. And so it wasn't long after that. Like I said, the judge, the judge said, yeah, this guy needs recovery. And he said, he basically said, get out of my province. And the next day Kevin was on a flight and came to us. But what, well, what are the chances of that? Like, wait, so you've got these charges. So as far as they know, you're, a, you're, you know, drug addict, Viennese, stealing all these things. And you're supposed to go to jail for five to seven years. Is that that's right? right? So here I am. I'm in BC. My wife and daughter are in Nova Scotia. I walk in 40, 42, 43 charges, whatever. 42, yeah. And, right. Uh, I pleaded with the judge to, I pleaded with him for essentially for grace and, he granted me that I ended up getting 11 charges uh, out of those. It, most of the, most of those charges were ended up being dropped, but I, I, I got with, I got stuck with 11 and uh, I was sentenced from Surrey, BC to Halifax, Nova Scotia. They said, get out of my province, go do recovery at a farm for a year in Halifax and go re- be re- reunited with your family. And, uh, what are the chances of that? Then, like, that, that to me sounds like not a chance at all. He said like, he was the first, like that, that was the first time that judge had ever done that. I don't think it had happened. He was one of the first people to ever be. Yeah. He's, I remember him saying these words. He said, the system has failed you. They should have seen you were a drug addict the first or second time and not let you back out. They, 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 they should have known you were going to reoffend. It's not your, you know, like, and and that's what happens with drugs. Once, especially if you're into crime, you 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 can't. You have to support yourself with something, and you're not going to go to right. work. Yeah. So. So you're going to do crime now? Question: Have you ever gone back or found that judge to say thank you and tell him what your life has been like now? Or that is one, has there ever been an opportunity? Those are two people that I'd love to connect with, and I, and and actually, I've never gone down that avenue. The judge and the police officer okay. pulled me over. Those are two people I'd love to. Um, well, that might be a story if you ever want to do talk sure. to me because I think that'd be a really great reunion story. Like I think 
Uh, yeah. And I think for them to hear about the de- the decision they make, because they probably have hundreds and thousands oh, sure. of people that they're doing, but to hear where you guys are now and the impact of what you're doing would be probably like incredible for them. I just encourage you because I think that that's a great word. story. Talk uh, to me. <laughs> if you decide to do that. <laughs> you set the, set the flame in motion. Now I got to act on it. <laughs> okay. Sounds like she knows I will too. so you okay so you unbelievably you are now sent to nova scotia across the the country get out of our province and what happens is it honestly instantaneously where you were like i don't want to do drugs anymore like i think for some people like wow okay so you got this opportunity but can you just stop drugs and needing that that high after like something like that happens, what, what happens? So I, I say this and I, and I say this with absolute honesty and with, I know this for a fact, and this is not everyone's story. So I, I, over the years, I've been cautious how I say this in my particular story. I believe God removed addiction. I have never, ever once obsessed, thought about, gone back to crystal meth. I've never, never even, never even crossed my mind it was like something changed in that moment and i just turned around and i never went back how we're many years have we got now that was how 18 years? years ago 18 years ago Whoa! 18 it was years different, different story i wish that was everyone's story it's not it is yeah. many people's story. no i know yeah no yeah and i think that's good i mean any story that i hear or even my own story i do say this is very unique to me right like this is not everybody's you know, people may have been adopted or people may have done this, but not everybody has the same story or outcome. So well, I, I, I respect what you're saying, but some, that's your story. Yeah, for sure. And there's also some like external factors that, that, ha- that happen in that. A, we moved across the country. That's a huge thing. Total different scenery, new set of friends, new set of rules, new, new home, focus on my family, focus on my life and recovery and making like strong bonds with good people who mentor me well. And uh, even, even right down to like guys I work with who like I could look up to and weren't creeps. And um, yeah, I was very, very blessed along the way. And so I got to, you know, not, it's not just all one thing and just like everything's just a miracle. It's actually like, it was some wise choices, but also some favor in my life that I had. Uh, and and certainly, um, I think geography is a was a was a big thing too. Moving away, yeah. moving away yeah. from the bad haunts, right? Yeah, Don. Now he's going like okay. Obviously, trust is a big issue yeah. <laughs> through this time. So he, as much as a, that's a win, prayer is answered. Now he's coming back home to Nova Scotia. Yeah. What's your process for this? And I think that's because I, I, you know, just to support the people who are listening, going. I, I, you know, I'm supporting, I'm in relationship with an addict. What does that mean? Like, how can you just trust again? What, what was the you don't, process for you in that? You don't, it's, it, I would say that it took twice as many years to heal as it did to be in the mess. Wow. Okay. So, so this isn't an overnight, we're not healing overnight. This is hanging on for a long time. And you know what it's like when you heal, like every day gets a little bit better. It's not like it was, it was horrendous for eight years, but it was horrendous for the first one and a half. And then it kind of just started to get a little bit better and a little bit better. And you, 
time um, and prayer and, you know, you, you can rebuild trust. I am proof that you can be in a completely shattered marriage where you not only dislike, but do not love or like and actually hate your spouse. Um, and if you hang on and you're meant yeah. to be together and God is in the mix, you can have an amazing marriage that's better than before. And so, yeah, I was stuck with a human being that I didn't, I didn't want to sleep with. I didn't want to kiss. I didn't want to hold hands with. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't at, at first I was, it was awkward being in the same room with him. Um, I wanted to, uh, in that you're wrestling with being supportive because you are his wife and you are the mother of his child and you, you know, are giving him access to your two-year-old again um, and visiting him in rehab. And it's, you know, we went through it. It took a very long time um, to get to a healthy place. It really did. As, as hard as it was um, for me to hang on, you know, when he would beg me to stay with him and not divorce him and just stick it out and it was going to get better and I will quit, um, the roles reversed. And then it was me saying, hey, this isn't you. This is me. You're better. You're, you've been released and you are free from your addiction, but now you have to, you have to wait on me because I'm not better. Like this is going to take me a good long while. Um, and so he had to return the favor and just be patient with me and hang on and wait for God to do all that he had to do in my heart and to teach me how to forgive him and how to trust him and how to, how to, uh, you know, at some point start to give him the spiritual reins of our household and our life again. And it, it, that does not happen overnight. It was a very, um, drawn out process with a lot of amazing godly appointments of people in our lives and small groups and pastors and family and prayer and time and, um, just working through it. You just, that is so beautifully honest Don. that is so refreshing to hear that because I think, you know, and I'll say that sometimes things like this happen, it's like a God moment and we're like, okay. And everything was better, you know, but it's not, it's, there's so much healing and things that have to be untangled, you know, you know about that and and what i hear for both of you i mean the god piece is huge i mean you know i think about the story and think wow if there wasn't him uh you know god sort of like orchestrating and behind the scenes and i don't know i don't know where you guys are not together not together yeah i was gonna say i don't yeah yeah. it's a that i prayed for kevin and and i felt in me that regardless of whether he was a mess at the beginning or not, he was who I prayed for. And so there was that. And then there was the Lord very much was at the center of our vows. It wasn't just the two of us on that day, whether he was high or not. We, we took those vows in front of our friends and family, but more importantly, in front of God. And I, it was a vow, like a vow is a vow. I think we just throw them away now, but like, it's a vow. It's called a vow for a reason. And so, um, Yeah. yeah, that was my vow before God. And so I took it very seriously and I do not for a second sit in judgment of people that have to get out. I I don't for a second, I have walked out um, divorce and recovery with countless women. And like you said, everybody's story is so incredibly different. Um, But that was my story. And I knew that I was accountable right from my life and my marriage. Um, And yeah, without, Without God, there's there is no Kevin and Don for sure. We would have been long done. So you come back. I'm going to fast forward because I want I want I have three questions to ask you as we're talking about 
strengthening. And then I want you guys to talk about the helm. So it's really, I think it's really important that our listeners, you know, support and get behind you guys in the work you're doing. I think that's, that's really key. Um, so if you were going to say, Kevin, to someone who is addicted, yeah. who is in the throes of addiction, it not only is not at the bottom, but just beginning, what would you say to him or her uh, in that space? I know it's different, right? Because there's one who's starting and then somebody's sort of in the middle and somebody who's kind of like really at the bottom. But because I know there are people listening that that are currently right now. For sure. In the throes. I would say, you know, I would say you're, you're playing with fire and you think you can control uh, what you're doing and, and you will not. There will be a tipping point where you can't go back. And if you're at the early stages your likelihood of actually just getting some, just some help, maybe a counselor, maybe winning off in a way and, uh, you know, beginning real um, right at the beginning is way wiser than, than letting it draw out because it will, it will destroy your life. That is, that's the reality. That's, that's, that's why we're in the uh, rehab uh, ministry. So. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, what about for someone in recovery? So, They've made the choice. They're in rehab. They're in recovery, but struggling. And and some, you know, on one side, they they, they think of it every day, wanting that high, and others are, you know, feeling hopeful. What would you say to that person in recovery as, as some encouragement? You know, uh, like I I always go back to the God element. Um, if you get up every morning and you trust the Lord with your life. If you, if you actually can make habits of actually spending time talking to God, reading God's word and uh, building that relationship, um, I believe that will guide you through the darkest times, the, the hardest times, the toughest days of recovery, the toughest days of fixing your situation, I guess. Um, there's, um, there's a guiding light right there, and that's Jesus. He can he can walk you through. He can take you through the storm, mm -hmm. and all those cliche words, but it's actually true. I've lived it. There's been lots of storms since then. Uh, doesn't mean life got perfect. I want to I want to encourage you that um, maybe it could be discouraging, especially if there's a. I want to talk about relationship in particular because Don brought up something from the the recovery person who I was. I, there was a lot of patience. Because I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm fixed. I'm good. I, why doesn't my wife love me anymore? And it's like, get in, strap in your belt, and get in for the long haul. Because it's uh, it's worth it. It's worth it mm. because it's actually freedom. It's like, I live a full life today. Mm. Yeah. So. It's so good. And so, Don, It's just something that can... No matter what stage, whatever age you are, there's no there's no bad age to do a pivot, no bad age to do a turning point where you actually okay. start something absolutely brand new. I just met a guy the other day, not a recovery guy, but he he was a, a t-shirt printer, and he said, you know what, I'm going to community college. I want to be a carpenter. He's 51 years old. I'm like, brilliant. <laughs> there's no there's no bad time to mm -hmm. put a pivot on your life. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's good. Don, I just want to say to you, ask you, you know, and you did mention this, but someone who is supporting an addict, mm -hmm. uh, living with, trying to love through, what would you, what would you say to them? Cool. So I, 
Yeah. I know. Hindsight, I know. right, is always twenty twenty. Um, I didn't walk it out in the best way possible. I'm grateful for the happy ending that we've received um, and that we did stick it out. I I isolated and shouldn't have. Um, find community. That's that's huge. Um, don't walk through it alone. Um, I think that's a major thing that I would have changed for for myself. And for me, it, it's it's like Kev said, it's a God thing. Like it's 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 being in that place of surrender and going. I'm actually going to trust that you're a God that will make sense out of this mess. And that sounds so hard and and like maybe not um, achievable for somebody that's in the throes of trying to walk out addiction with a loved one, but um, we've all got stories, right? And so you're, you're just, if you look at it as a journey instead of as the sum of it, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's just one day at a time and just buckle up like Kev said. And so. Yeah. mm -hmm. Like our, if I was to go back of course, I would make different decisions knowing the outcome. But now that I've gone through the, the mess, I want to be a drug addict again. But on the other side of it, the mess is what's essentially crafted and created us to be the way we are. He's, mm-hmm. he's made a like a victory out of the mess that we actually yeah. get to minister out of a place that was a mess. That's actually like a it's, it's fixed or it's, you know, it's renewed, it's restored and... I wouldn't actually trade that today. I, I feel much longer yeah, because of that. I so, wouldn't trade an ounce yeah. of the pain. I would walk through yeah. it a thousand times to get to where we are today. Really? Absolutely. And it was it was bad. Like it was infidelity. It was uh, like heaps of lying. It was like hate, like ugly stuff mm. for, for not a month, but like four or five years and then years of healing. But I would absolutely do it again. You, you can't, for those incredible. of us that believe and know that our lives are not our own, like you don't get to, you don't get to decide how your story is going to end or what God's going to do with the hard parts of your life. Like he doesn't make the mess, but he will allow you to walk through it if it's going to bring hope to other people. And so I, I, yeah, I wouldn't trade it. Mm. I just wouldn't. Whoa. That's like, wow, guys. Because I think a lot of people, this is another show, but. just about pain and hardship, you know? And I think a lot of people, our culture and society has always been, we don't want pain or hardship. We're always trying to, to stay away from it and not deal with it or, or, you know, pretend it's not there. And I think what you're saying is really powerful because stuff happens, bad stuff happens. Life is not easy. It's not fair. It's not good. It's yeah. And that's really powerful. I'm just sitting on that for a second. The best uh, parts of what we get to it, do in ministry, the best parts of our marriage, the best parts of our kids watching what husbands and wives do and hard stuff, like all the good stuff is birthed out of the worst days of our lives. So like I'm so grateful yeah. that I don't live a ho hum life where I don't I don't know the realness of God and I'm not kind of sure on things and I don't know, I don't have purpose and I don't like <laughs> We have all that stuff in spades because we walked out really hard stuff. So just, you got to hang on. Like if you're a, yeah. right, you just got to hang on because there is a God that will make sense of the mess and not just make sure. sense of it, but like okay. use it in ways that you couldn't even fathom. Yeah. 
Okay, in that, uh, let's let's just quickly chat about. It makes sense the work that you're doing <laughs> now. Yeah. Like, it's not like so far off to say, "Oh, wow, we're so surprised at the helm and what that center is." Uh, just talk to us uh, about it, uh, the work that you're doing um, there, because uh, I'd like you know as many people to know about it. I think it's it's a great ministry, great center. Yeah, so. And, and maybe just quickly how you got to that place to do this and then what it is. And then we'll, we'll finish up with a, f- a few final thoughts. Yeah. So we've been back in, uh, we've, we've moved across the country a couple of times in our marriage between Nova Scotia and, and, and BC. Um, we ended up uh, over the course of the last 10 years, we spent, uh, we've, we felt God call us into ministry and, and we, we did exactly that. We worked in recovery ministry for uh, about a decade in Langley, BC and, really fell in love with serving and serving specifically broken and addicted people, people in the same situation uh, that we had gone through. And um, anyway, a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago, we just felt a strong um, calling in our hearts to come back from BC back to Nova Scotia to start um, a year long recovery program for men here in Halifax and uh, an area where where we received healing. I say we, because I went through a program here 18 years ago, but it gave me a second chance at life. And uh, so we, and there's really nothing like that, especially not in the faith-based world of recovery here, where it offers a 12 month program for guys to come in and, and get uh, restoration purpose and direction for their life. So, and maybe you can explain a little bit about what the helm is in the program, Donnie. Yeah, we're uh, a seven acre farm. Uh, very close to Peggy's Cove, which I know you love. Ooh, <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. We're tucked away enough from the city that we're we're trying to help buff that temptation to be right where um, things are easily accessible. But we're close enough that our guys can get connected with the local church and with community. Um, and they'll spend a year here with us, hopefully. I mean, some will obviously leave sooner. Um, some will maybe stay longer. But they are, their days are sort of half counseling, ministry, discipleship, classes, life skills. And then their, um, the second half of their day is working the property, working the farm, learning skills. We've got a commercial coffee roaster. We've got uh, a wood shop to make things mm. to, to sell. So they'll learn carpentry. They'll learn um, roasting. There's animals. We've got animals all over the place. We've got a mini farm, right? We've got a sawmill um, on the property where we mill our own. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, lots so, of cool things. Yeah, capacity for 12 men. And we've got a house manager that lives here and um, we'll feed them well and uh, chapel every week and get them connected with church and get them connected with mentors and new new community, healthy people to walk life out with. Um, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. That's incredible. See, I love that. I love the story where, you know, you live it out. You see God do miraculous work, and then in that space, you're like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of like we're gonna fill the need and do something that we know so intimately to then support. Like I, I think that's what like what we mean when it's like we go through hard times and we can take that and be like, oh, you know, that's the worst, and now we're just not we're gonna like ignore it and walk away from it. But I am so encouraged and inspired by you too. Because you take something that was so much of your lives that caused such great hurt, went through the healing process, saw a guy do some things, and then now you're doing the helm. Like it's it's amazing. It's it's actually one of those stories I wish, you know, everybody needs to hear because I think so many people 
should be doing the same thing. In some of the, the, the hardest experiences of their life, they could be helping people in the same areas that they, they needed help. And so just, you know, honestly, I commend you and applaud and, and, and inspired by you that you, that you're doing this, that you're doing the courageous work. And I, we need to ask, like, what is the greatest need? Like, how can we, you know, who are listening, watching, help you in, in the needs at, at the helm? What would be your greatest needs? Prayer is always number one. And everyone thinks it's so cliche, okay. but truthfully, like we know all good things come from the one who's given us the vision for this and the resource to make it happen. So that's always first and foremost, um, is what we ask anyone that hears about the helm. Um, local involvement in terms of volunteerism and then also resource. Like it's taken three years and a million dollars to get to this point in fundraising. And it never stops because our residents will predominantly be on assistance and it won't cover their stay. And so that's just the reality. We hate that it comes down to money, but it just does. Helping people sometimes costs money. So that's. I I get that. <laughs> I've been in the nonprofit world for a long yeah. time. So I, I get that. And ministry world. Any last thoughts as we're talking about Summer of Strength or any last encouraging thoughts, Kevin, Dawn, uh, that, that come to mind about just, you know, strengthening those in, in the area, in the areas that you know of, um, before we go. Um, I, I have a, just a small short word. It's a word that I felt sure. when, when, when we felt, when we felt a call to come back here to Halifax, I remember kind of wrestling with God on this area of, okay, do I go, do I obey what I feel like we're supposed to be doing? You know, we're supposed to start this new ministry recovery center. And I remember there was one specific day and I get up, I get up pretty religiously at 5am and pray. And that's my, that's my, my routine. And and it's important. And I said, finally, one day I said, fine, we'll, we'll do it. What do you want me to, where do you you want me to start? I don't even know where to start. Like we're going to start a recovery center. We have no money. We have no, we don't have a plan. We don't have a name. And sometimes you hear God's audible voice and I'm not sure everyone has their way they hear God's voice. And I heard it. I heard God's voice as simple as plain as day. They don't do nothing. And it, and maybe that's for somebody right out there. Right now. Maybe mm-hmm. it's someone who's walking through recovery. Maybe it's someone who's walking into like a new journey in their life, whatever it is. And I thought, don't do nothing is so vague. So what I did was I just did something. And that's the way faith works. It's just like saying, Hey, you know what? I know I gotta, I gotta do something. And when I do something, God fills in the other blanks that we can't fill in. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think I think that's a, probably a really good word for, for those, especially those struggling in addiction. If you're taking steps forward, especially if you're taking steps forward with, um, you know, with a God focus, you're saying, hey, God, I, I'm trusting you to get me to this next step. I'm just going to take a little shimmy forward. And uh, I just believe that, you know, he starts to fill in some of those puzzle pieces where we have or they're impossible for us. They make no sense in an earthly position, but they make major sense in, in a kingdom position. So yeah, that's, a, that's, that's my, that's my, uh, my closing thought. <laughs> it's amazing. No, I love it. I love it. Don, anything or you, yeah. you Kevin say it all or do you have anything else to say? Yeah. It's just, uh, so for those of us that, that know God, that know the Lord and, and I remember I, I worked at the church in, in Langley. I worked at a church in BC 
and our pastor uh, shared this message and he said this line, and I've heard it lots actually since, but I had never heard it before. Um, this was probably going back five, six years. And, he, and it sounded harsh at the time, but I loved it. And it said, you weren't saved. He said, sorry, you weren't saved to sit. That's a sin. And I thought it, mm. it like struck me. And it, I wrote it on this whiteboard sticker that was on my office and I, I, I meditated on it for a while and, and it's kind of now who we are. I mean, it has been for a while, but like, I'm not just saved literally, right. By, by what Jesus did on the cross in terms of my eternity, but like, oh, I think we I lost, lost her. Saved. We lost her. My marriage got saved. He didn't save us for us to just sit. And so everybody's got a story. He's given us all a testimony. Some people get saved as itty bitties and, and that's their legacy that they don't go through hardship. But then even that share that, like we've all got a story to share. Mm -hmm. And if we have open hands and open hearts, God will do what he wants with that. And and it's up to him how he uses us, but it's being in that place of um, not just sitting, like Kev said, do something. It's amazing. So good. Well, Kevin and Don, thank you so much for being on this episode of our SOS series, Summer of Strength. Uh, we are cheering you on. We're definitely going to be praying for you and the work that you do. And thank you so much for just your honesty and sharing your story and your life. I mean, it's, you know, as a storyteller for me, you know, to, to sort of rehash and bring it up again, there are moments I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> but I think what's so beautiful is your story is is an absolute uh, love story, a, a redemption story of God and of the two of you. So, so proud of you guys and uh, keep up the great work. Thank, thank, you so thank you so much. Take care. Well, one of the key areas we knew we wanted to focus on is strengthening our marriages, especially through this summer series when we've been quarantined at home with our kids and our spouse for weeks and months. And for many, it has taken a toll on our marriage, but so can stress over money. And in fact, some recent studies indicate that fighting and stressing over money in the marriage is the second leading cause of divorce. So if you want to strengthen your marriage, a good place to start is by doing a better job of managing your finances. And that's why we've teamed up with David Ash and his Simple Wealth book to help give you a solid roadmap to follow to strengthen your financial health so your marriage can thrive. Go to simplewealthbooks.com. Did you know there are more to people get your slavery right now than at any point in history? Strengthening I didn't your marriage that. today. These people deserve freedom. And I believe that none of us are truly free until all of us are free. The world needs freedom partners. And I believe that Canada can be a leader in standing up for freedom, for the safety and equality of the most vulnerable. And so that's why I chose to partner with IJM Canada to invite Canadians like yourself to join with IJM to help bring hope and freedom to people living in fear, oppression, and slavery. IJM is on a mission to see 500 million people protected from violence by 2030, and we need your help. Will you join us as a freedom partner? Well, please go to IJM.ca to find out how you can help today. Well, I have to say, Melinda, for a bonus episode, this one hits really hard. So much respect to Kevin and Don for their vulnerability in sharing their story with us. 
And I just want to say, for many years, this wasn't a story that either of them would have wanted to share with anyone. I can only imagine how difficult each day was for Dawn as she stayed true to her convictions with no guarantee that her story would ever have a happy ending. And it reminds me that, as part of the faith community, I hope we recognize these stories as stories of redemption while they are still being lived and resist casting blame, shame, and judgment. Back to you, Melinda. Get us out of here. Wow. Uh, what an episode. Um, I'm still having to sit in a bit of space to kind of take in all that I heard. And especially from, from Dawn, you know, I know that we say, you know, we focus a lot on the person that is struggling, going through addiction, struggling with mental health. But a lot of times we lose, we lose the story of the one who's supporting the caregiver, uh, the one, the spouse, the partner in all of this. And so Here's my takeaway. You know, I think a couple things that stood out was when Kevin said, don't do nothing. <laughs> I think that's just a good reminder that even when we go through bad things and horrible things, that that the story can continue and that that bad can become good. And what Kevin and Don have done to now have the helm and to support and care for men in addiction recovery because they had been through it is just an amazing story. So I love that. Don't do nothing. We need to do something, and I think more of us do need to do something uh, in areas where maybe we know a lot about, in things that we've gone through in our life that we can speak to and care for. So I love that. Uh, and I just love Dawn's, wow, perseverance, commitment. I mean, it was harsh. She's like, I didn't love him anymore. I didn't want him, him to touch me. We had to build trust. But I think the honest storytelling uh, of what she's she went through is so inspiring that it wasn't easy. She 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 dug in. She stayed committed to him, and now look what God is doing through them now together. And so I think there's a lot about not giving up. Uh, a lot of us would give up if we were in Dawn's shoes, but she stuck with them, and now they've got this great ministry. I think again, what was really helpful was that when. Kevin said, you know, he's stopped having any urge for addiction after that prayer. And he was really honest for some that will happen and for some that it won't. So we all have our own story, but in it, in, in it all, I just love that God was in the midst of it, that they were faithful uh, to Jesus in those, some of the decisions and amazing. So that's my takeaway. I hope you were strengthened and encouraged by their story of, of love and recovery. So thanks for being with us. See Here Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.